Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Um, we are in this series, Revival Church and Politics. And uh, this morning, I want to drill into this pickup where we kind of left off last week. We were in Proverbs 28 last week. And um, I want to uh, talk this morning about what it is to become bold as a lion. Becoming bold as a lion. And uh, the verse 1 of that proverb last week, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as lions. And so I want to break that down this morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5. Um, this morning, if you want to find your way there, uh, the word boldness uh, is used three primary times in chapter 4 of Acts to define and put a mark on the church in the sense of this is what should be happening if faith and salvation, the love of Jesus has taken over in somebody's heart, there should be a boldness. And we'll see this played out. We're going to talk about what that looks like and, and some of our barriers. Why are we struggling with that so much today in our, our, in our, in our culture? Um, but let me just start right here, uh, understanding this, under, this, this, this proverb a little bit, getting us into this idea about boldness. What is it to look like to be bold as a lion? The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as lion. In other words, we talked about last week when salvation comes and it needs to come, that the fear of God, a healthy fear of God is a necessity, right? Proverbs said the beginning of all wisdom and knowledge is the fear of the Lord. And uh, this is something we're missing today. And without fear, there is no salvation. There has to be a reverence to God, who he is, a need to come before him. He's sovereign, he's glorious, and we need salvation. We need to receive, right, his goodness um, uh, in our hearts uh, through Jesus. Uh, and that fear, if we have a healthy fear of God, understanding that reverence for God, then you know what? We're set free from every other fear. That's the deliverance. And this is what this proverb tags is the wicked, they flee. The ones who don't know God, in other words, their trust is not in God, is that they are, they are susceptible to every fear and oppression in the world. And they will flee. In other words, they will run scared, always looking behind, always thinking about the worst. And, and, and uh, they have nothing. They have not faith. And folks, here's the, in the midst of this COVID thing, it's pretty clear when you're talking to someone if fear has taken over or if there's faith there. It's clear as, it's clear as a bell. If there's genuine faith, it doesn't mean we're, that we're rebellious and we're not being, you know, careful and things like that. But it's very clear in talking to someone, we give off fear or we give off faith. And there's really not a gray zone here on this. And if there's the Holy Spirit, if there's the recognition of our, uh, you know, this is not our world. We're saved into eternal life and we're in his hands. And it's a phenomenal avenue. Let me just use this. This will tie into what we're going to talk about this morning. But um, this idea of fear and faith is a beautiful on-ramp, especially now in talking to people, is, is, is reach them on that level of their fear and use that conversation to move to a gospel conversation, right? And to share that, that where our heart is, our trust is, is, is not in a vaccine. I hope your faith is not in a vaccine, right? But it's in Jesus, Right? It's in my faith. It's in God's got it all control. Whether that vaccine works or not, yes, we need to pray for that. It would be a blessing. Yes, yes. But no, my ultimate foundation right, is, is Jesus, is God, his promise, what he's done for me, what he promises for me, what he promises for this world. Right? We rest in that whole thing. The righteous are bold as lying. Righteousness, folks, is not something that come, come by religion. You can't work your way to God. You can't be, work your way towards right. Not a, there's not enough good works for any of us to be stamped righteous. It only comes by the grace of God. This is the amazing, glorious gospel of Jesus. The free gift of God that is given to us. The righteousness of God is given to us by faith. We receive it freely. Jesus is the one who's accomplished that for us. It's the righteousness of Christ that's imputed to us. Um our identity in him. Uh, what an amazing uh, good news message that is, right? The striving, the working, the comparison that am I good enough? Am I, you know, no, no. It, faith, grace of receiving his grace puts us into this phenomenal new relationship with God where he sees us as righteous because of Jesus and my relationship to Jesus, not my religion, right? And then folks, that's what people need to hear today, right? 
in the midst of understanding that, you know what, the fears, the bondage, those things are broken, right? The power of sin in my life, the power of, of the fear of death over my life, right? Jesus conquered those things for us. That's the core of the, uh, of the gospel. So how does this flesh out? Why, why bold is lying? I started thinking about it. We had a couple folks that were at our first service, and um, I'm going to get to go out lion hunting with them. They're real lion hunters. So they understand the boldness of a lion. And uh, sorry if that offend anybody. That, anyway. Um, why is a lion? Why, why use this? Why a lion? Why is a lion bold? The boldness. What, what is the picture we need to conjure? Huh? Fearless. King of the jungle. Right, he's the top of the food chain. Right, who hunts a lion? A lion hunter, <laughs> but no other animal, right? And the boldness, so the deal is, in this word in the Greek, this we're going to read here in the book of Acts, it also talks about confidence, boldness and confidence. It means this, this boldness because I know who I am as a child of God. I know who's got my back. I don't need to be looking behind me as I live my life. I know the God of the universe. He saved me, redeemed me. I'm a child under all his promises. He's got eternal life for me. He's defeated the power of death and the power of sin in my life and in this world. I can trust him to deal with COVID or anything worse, right? That's faith. And that's a boldness that in faith, and we'll see here in the book of Acts, faith, genuine faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, walking with Jesus, it should birth boldness, Boldness should be equated to faith. These, as we're going to see, they go together. But I, I worry, folks, let's be honest. As we look at ourselves and as we look at the church in America is, where's the boldness? We're cowering to a progressive culture that is, is pushing strong, right? We become lukewarm in many ways, right? And what I hope to do in each of our hearts is just stoke a little bit of faith, of boldness, right? And, and you might be sitting there going, well, man, I, 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 that's just not who I am. I, I, boldness is never, I, I, that, the, you might just be asking the question, why boldness? Why do I need to be bold? It's a good question. We're going to answer that this morning, right? And folks, the idea of faith, right, this gift of God and salvation, right, is that Jesus, when we follow him, if we really understand the magnitude of what he's done for us, that birth boldness. It doesn't mean that you need to be this, this like, like a Peter. That might not be your personality, right? But you will have a unique boldness. John's boldness was radically different than Peter's boldness. They were two, cut from two different giftings, but both desperately needful in the process, right? So as we get into this, something that's critical here is there's, uh, we need to understand what, what we mean by boldness because there is a big difference between fleshly boldness and spirit-filled boldness. And what we're going to read about is spirit-filled boldness, but we understand what fleshly boldness is, right? And this is where we can get, especially if you are, are kind of an out-there person, you can jump out in the flesh and be bold. And, and of course, Peter is our prime example, isn't it? Isn't it interesting? He's the leader of the disciples. He was uh, the leader, but look how he messed up. I mean, over and over again, right? I mean, when Jesus first told him he's going to the cross, what did, Jesus, what did Peter do? He jumped out there, Jesus, right? Talk about boldness. Telling Jesus, Jesus, that'll never happen. I'll never let that happen. Now, that's bold, isn't it? And you have to give some credit to that. And since that, that's going to be used for good, but what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Whoa. Ah, that's a little fleshly boldness. And what did, what did Jesus say? He said to Peter, he says, you're, you're focused on the things of man, not the things of God. And we could go just track Peter multiple times, right? Denying the Lord. Um, but how about whacking off, you know, Malchus's ear? Here it again. Fleshly boldness. Here we go. It's time for war. You know, and um, there goes the ear. Flesh, you, know, you just have to, it's amazing the grace of God when you look at, here's the leader that Jesus is entrusting just a few days after to change the world. And this guy, he's still fleshly boldness, whacking people's ears off. Peter, but the sword back in his sheath. This is, <laughs> right? You live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword, right? And so I think we get, don't you understand that fleshly boldness, right? Is stepping out. And you know what? Honestly, I'm just going to say it. I think a lot of what the Christian church and Christian message in the last couple months has been a fleshly boldness, lacking wisdom and lacking centrality of the gospel message as the top priority. 
rather than a candidate or rather than a platform or anything else, the gospel needs to be central, right? Central. And then and only then is our bold actions going to be spirit-filled, right? And along with God and partnering with him in that whole process, okay? Not that we shouldn't be out there, but boy, we have to make sure with wisdom and that it, this is spirit-filled boldness. And we're going to see uh, here this morning what that looks like. Okay, I got a lot. So I've got seven things for you. And I hope you'll take these just out of... And what I'm going to do is we're going to journey through chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Acts. I'm not going to have time to read it all. So I'm just going to pop in and, and grab a verse here and there. Um, to, uh, to talk at seven things just to, to, to break this idea. Okay, what is spirit-filled boldness? What does it mean? How can we become bold as a lion? What does that look like? Um, that is what God has for us, right? Whether it be in the Proverbs, the Old Testament, he desires the righteous. He desires his children to be bold as lions. That's everyone, right? No one, you can't take an excuse. Well, I'm a quiet person. No, no. There's a special, unique boldness that you and only you can use for the kingdom of God, right? And God has that for you. And uh, so, let me give you a little background. So as we drop into the book of Acts, the first part of the early church here, and what's happening, it's a super exciting time um, in, in, in the whole economy of God's salvation in the world. And uh, what's happened is Jesus has, we step in the beginning of Acts, and Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. He's walking around, appearing 40 days, teaching and appearing to his disciples. Um, interesting, he did not appear to anybody else but the disciples, the ones who knew him, okay? It's important. He's there teaching them, right, on 40 days. And then uh, on the 40th day, he uh, ascended back to heaven, back to the Father, and he told his church, wait here in Jerusalem. Don't go do anything, right? This is important. Don't do anything, but be here in my presence waiting until you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, and then you will be my witnesses, right? The ones who boldly give and speak about what Jesus has done, right, inside your heart, right? And then um, we see that they, uh, they, they had to draw straws in the beginning here and, and replace Judas, who hung himself. And then we see Pentecost comes um, in chapter 2. And 10 days after Jesus ascended, boom, the Holy Spirit hits the, uh, hits the church. And i got to get in the right book here. And... Um, and uh, boy, revival hits out in Jerusalem, right? It's, it's just, it's mayhem, joyous mayhem, right? Uh, it's just this massive, right? And it just swelled. And we track in these first four chapters and we see thousands. Okay, folks, th this went from 120 small church like ours to overnight a mega church, overnight, boom, right? And they were meeting in Solomon's Portica outside around the temple in this large area. And they were teaching there and, and preaching the good news of Jesus. And then they would break up, the believers would break up into their homes and break bread and communion, rejoice and strengthen each other. They'd come back all together, wide open, open to anybody in public. Come join, hear the message of Jesus. Boom, they'd break back right into their homes and break bread with another, encourage right one another. And uh, so Peter stands up here. This, this fleshly boldness has been filled now with the Holy Spirit. And he stands up and he brings a, a message, his first sermon, right, as such, to all into this massive megachurch over this entire city as a revival, right, is going on. And, uh, and uh, then, then we see more and more even added, more and more even even baptized, a very exciting time. The church you know, hones in on its community and love and serving of one another. And we can read, you know, more of this. And then one day during the hour of prayer, Peter and John head into the temple and they come across a beggar and he has been there. He's 40 plus years old. He's been there a long time. He's a famous beggar. And, um, and, uh, and Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold, I don't have, but what I have, don't miss that language. What I have, I give to you. Get up and walk. Boom. Whew right? Here's this miracle. And now it opens up all kinds of avenues, right? More people are added, right? To, to have their hearts open to the gospel, you know, message. And honestly, just a little side note, folks, I, I don't, I believe with all my heart that Aspen, Colorado, the one percenters in the world, they're not going to pay attention to the gospel until they, they see power they can't explain. It's the bottom line. Until this community sees power they cannot explain, they're not going to be open to the gospel. 
And so we see this exchange, right, of the good news of the gospel and the power God confirming. We see the church pray for this again, stretching out your hand, Father, to do these things. And uh, so, you know, it causes mayhem. And and, uh, again, the people try to think that there's some kind of gods. And Peter's like, dude, we're just normal people like you. But guess what? We've been filled with the Holy Spirit. We're in partnership with God now. Because the life of God, the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in my heart. That means all things are possible. That means all things are possible at any moment of the day. And so if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, if you have the Holy Spirit in your heart and you know him and you know him deeply, intimately, guess what? When you're walking around town, all things are possible. Whatever room you walk in, whatever boardroom you walk in, whatever decision you make, whoever you encounter, all things are possible. That is to be our context. That is to be our expectation. We're to be available. God, what are you going to do here? I'm available. I'm going to pray. Whatever is going to happen. That's boldness. That's faith. And that means that I have faith that all things can happen to God because, man, your resurrection power is here. That means that I'm available. Lord, what are you doing in this moment? I'm willing to take a step of faith. I'm willing to be bold, Lord, if you're ready in this moment, right, to do something great. So, of course, that got some persecution. That got some attention of the, of the religious rulers, and, and the religious rulers were commanded by the Romans to keep peace. So it was also the Romans, a larger context here. And... Um, they arrest the guys, right? And, uh, and, and do, I want to pick up in chapter 4 here where, um, where they're questioning Peter, right? And John, the guys have all, all this. And, and I'm just going to walk through, as I said, seven things. I want to give you these pretty quick here, as quick as I can. Um, and I hope you'll take some time. Just sink into this, and you'll see here, we get to it, that the church regularly prayed, Lord, please send your spirit. Give us boldness. Let us keep being able to continue to speak your gospel boldly, right? And this is desperate need in America for the church to, again, recover its primary mission is to boldly speak the good news of Jesus to all. And so the first thing is this, it's for all followers of Jesus. So let me just break this down. Um, Chapter 4, verse 12, the end of of Peter's response back to the religious rulers, verse 12, he ends this, talk about bold, what does he say? And there there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name and under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We'll come back to that. There's waffling on that issue in the church and among people, quote, who say they're believers, right? And he goes on. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So a couple important things here is that these were, they were from Galilee. They were seen as hillbillies. There was a high, like most cultures around the world, a high strata of almost classes and privilege, right, that were going on. And, and it was, they've never seen, these are common, these are hillbillies from Galilee. What are, how is it possible for them to stand out and, and speak boldly? It was their boldness of confidence in the truth of what they were speaking about that got their attention along with the miracles, right? How is this possible, right? And so I I just want, we start right here when it comes to this idea of spirit-filled boldness, folks, is do not let anything, your education, when you come to, anybody comes to faith is, is Jesus didn't say you need to be a theologian before you go do something. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. If he saved you, immediately we're to be continually being witnesses, sharing of that expression of what God has done for us, and, 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 and there is no barrier to this. There shouldn't be. And we live in a, a therapeutic culture, right, where we all, everybody is, 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 has, has uh, holdbacks on, on our confidence of who we are and what we can do. And uh, right here he begins. This is just how God works. He's done this all throughout history. He loves doing it. He loves bringing a, a person that is unknown, who's a common person, uneducated, right, and fill them up with the Spirit of God, light them on fire with boldness, and change the world. And this is what he did. He didn't, go, he didn't go pick these brilliant people. He didn't pick, right, uh, high-class people. And remember, even when he wrote to the first Corinthians, he says, hey, remember, church, right? You all were not some wealthy, you know, super smart people that God chose. You were normal folk. Matter of fact, he goes a little lower than that. You're some low folk, right? 
And so, folks, this, this is not, um, so I just, this is important for us all to understand that, look, <laughs> this is, this is, there's not an excuse for boldness, for being a witness, for sharing the gospel. No one can have an excuse. If Jesus gets a hold of your heart, right, is that that's all he wants to use. And, and I think I, we can almost scrap everything I'm going to say this morning. If you just hold on to one thing, just hold on to this last little line in that verse 13, and it says, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That changes everything, right? There is no real spirit-filled boldness without time with Jesus, right? The time Jesus spent with them, what was he doing? He was building them up. He was teaching them. He was building up their confidence, right? They knew. They knew him. And they were witnesses of him and what he called them to do. Number two. Spirit-filled boldness, being bold as a lion, is obedience to God regardless of circumstances. This is a tough one. We're going to vamp up. This is a tough one. Spirit-filled boldness is getting settled in my life, right? This idea that I'm going to obey God, not man. I'm going to obey God and his word and not the authorities if they contradict the word. Right? And this doesn't contradict Romans 13, this just, this just puts another level on it, right? If the authorities or if anybody else, right, puts something on me that contradicts the word of God, I follow God. I follow his law first and foremost, right? And in 419, we see this, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, in just in response to them, they says, now go. The command was go and speak. Now, this is real important. It says, go and speak this good news. Don't speak of this Jesus anymore. Now, what that meant is we're going to see that they went straight back to their, their local, their church, and to Solomon's portico in public and in their homes. There's an intimate connection between speaking boldly, the gospel of Jesus, and gathering together as a body. These two things are not separated. They're together. And we see it all through the gospel, right? And then in chapter 5, it's the same thing. Well, you, you know, is that, and more, a little more bold in 29 in chapter 5, after the second arrest, right, is um, that they, uh, you, you tell us, we must obey God, not man. And folks, this is at the core, and honestly, I think this is one of the biggest issues, again, for the church today in America, is we haven't settled on this issue of obedience, Right? Our confidence in who God is that in every aspect of my life, as we're going to see that this is my authority, that I bring my decisions, that I obey God. And something just, something, and I've seen this um, over and over again, when somebody gets confidence in the word of God, and when they make that costly decision to submit and surrender their life and their decisions, their lifestyle, everything to the word of God, though they might not even understand it is that there's a sense of confidence. There's a sense of the Spirit of God. There's a sense of welling up and passion that, that takes hold in their life, and the Word of God comes alive, very personal into their life. And there's a sense of boldness, regardless of the consequences in life. I obey God. I obey His Word, right? This is the kind of confidence that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had that we sang about. There's another in the fire where they were able to say at the fire, listen, king, I, we're, one thing's for sure, we're not obeying you, we're obeying God. And, and yeah, our God can save us and, and he will save us ultimately, right? And, and look at the results, right? This is the kind of confidence and, and this is the kind of, of discipleship and, and gospel learning that we're to give our children so that when they step into school and, and uh, in higher education that they can stand in the midst of an onslaught of progressive crap that they can stand there on the truth that I don't believe the world. I follow God. I follow his truth like Daniel did who's a teenager by the way. And I'm telling you right now, a child that goes off to any educational system today, across the board, if they do not, if they're not rooted in the truth of God, they will stumble and they will fall and they will be a progressive secularist in no time at all, right? Without the truth of God's word, right? And then, you know, as they say, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. The question is, what are you standing for? Where's your, right? Is it fear or is it faith? Right, ultimately, in that, in that thing. So, number three, spirit-filled boldness, <clears throat> as we can see in the early church. Right, it says it's speaking boldly the word of God and expecting signs and wonders in Jesus' name. Okay, it's not just speaking 
as we're going to see here as the church, and this should always be the case, again, as I said, all things are possible, right? It should be, look, I'm called to, uh, we're not commanded, right, to do what only God can do. We're commanded to partner with him, to be a witness, and then let him, let him come along and fan into flame, do what he's going to do. And uh, a couple verses in 412, obviously, um, just a couple, this is the end of Peter's first sermon, and he ends it pretty boldly, right? There is salvation in no one else, and there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Bold proclamation of the gospel of Jesus, understanding who Jesus is. And folks, I just ask you, is, is we're going to see here the cost of following Jesus and the, the willingness to be ridiculed in our, uh, in our c- culture today to be people who stand for Jesus and not for the culture. People who are willing to share the gospel, right? And, and especially in them, especially in our community to right here, right? It's across the board, right? The idea of progressive secularism for long ago, right, has taught us no real objective reality, no real objective, um, you know, truth, absolute truth. And so with that comes this very fluffy, mushy God idea that, hey, there, Jesus is good for you, but for me, I do this, right? That's not an option for Christianity. It's not an option for the gospel. And, and this needs to be, the church in America needs to make a stand. We need to get this right. Because we've allowed room in the church for people to think they're believers, to think they're followers of Jesus. I want to be very clear, as bold as I can, so there is no confusion right here. What Peter is saying right here is you cannot follow Jesus and believe there's other ways to God. That's not Christianity. That's not salvation. That is not an option. And we have many people sitting in churches today all across America who think they're actually Christians, but they've held on to this idea. And let me just tell you, you don't know Jesus as Lord. You don't know him personally if you think there's other routes, there's other gods than Jesus himself. And until we get bold, when boldness comes, the clarity of who Jesus is, because here's the deal. We're going to stand. There's only one that we'll stand before and give full account. Every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. Everyone will give an account of Jesus. And unless there's a willing up of love, and love does not mean, oh, I want to go easy on you. I don't want to offend you. I don't want to make you feel bad. Love is, I'm most concerned about your eternity. If I just love them and I feed them something, I just cared about their existence right here or how they're feeling even. You know, God, we're to transcend feelings with the gospel. In other words, what needs to be said is, where's your soul, right? And remember, it couldn't be any clearer. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed him should not perish. Wow. If we come into the reality that people are perishing, what does that mean? It means they're dying if they don't know Jesus and they haven't had an opportunity to receive his love, that they are going into eternity, into death, without the confidence of what their eternity is going to be like in separation ultimately from God. Out of the love of God, it is not love to not boldly deal with that issue in people's lives, whether it be our friends or others, right? Just as we talk about, well, we just love people. What does that mean? That is lukewarm nothing, right? In the sense of we're to come alongside. What's going to happen? One day you're going to wake up and you're going to have a friend or relative and they're going to be faced with the radical consequences of eternity and say, why didn't you tell me anything? Right? Or how better yet, we stand before our Lord and we lived and we walked with coworkers, friends, whatever it is, and we never shared with them Jesus. We never shared with them the reality of one day We all will stand before God. And if we don't know Jesus, we're forever removed from him. Where is that? So I I can see some of you are uncomfortable with what what I've just got off on here, right? And I just plead with you. If you're uncomfortable with that, if you're really that idea of Jesus the only way and the idea of of an eternity away from God and and that God just doesn't grade on the curve, let everybody in, right? Um, I, I plead with you. Please talk to us. We'd love to hear about your soul. We'd love to talk about Jesus and what it is to have salvation, what it really is for God to save your soul and have the confidence of eternal life, right? This is where we need to, to be drilling in on, the, on this issue. And um, man, um, the word of God, the fullness of the gospel, the fullness of, that, of that, uh, uh, the reality of what salvation really is, right? 
And again, folks, uh, uh, whether it be our church or the church in America, this issue, we are more concerned about what man thinks of us and our friends and family think of us than we are. And I'm speaking to myself here, right? This is easy. All right, this is church. I'm supposed to be, right, bringing forth the word of God to you, right? What's hard is go out there. And sometimes we're moving into the holidays. Sometimes the hardest people to really share our heart with is what? Our family. Those are the hardest environments, right? The boldness is, Lord, please give me a, prepare me, let me, I've got to just share my heart, right? At the cost, Lord, of rejection. Because again, I obey you first. And I would never want to live my life knowing that I did not share with somebody I love, the fullness of the gospel and the consequences of rejecting it. Be a witness, right? So um, the other verse here is uh, in chapter 4, verses 29 through 31. And just, this is awesome. So they, they get, lit, uh, get out of prison. This, this is the first round, right? And um, what do they do? They f- quickly go to their friends and they start, again, building up one another. The body gathers together. They never stopped gathering. Publicly, privately in the homes. And here's their prayer. And folk, so here's where you say, well, it looks like just the apostles are doing this. No, you don't, you don't get up to maybe 10,000 people who, who are believers who love the Lord with just well, you know, 12 guys doing it. It's everybody is boldly proclaiming. And look at the prayer. Here it is. And now, Lord, this is the prayer of the church when they gathered together. Look upon their threats, right? It was a threat actually of being killed. But they went light on them because there were so many coming to faith, they were afraid of a riot. And why they were afraid of a riot was because if a riot broke out, guess what? Rome would take, their, Rome would take the religious rulers power. So now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to continue. Look at this. To speak your word with all boldness. While you, Lord, stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken. Do not miss the connection between gathering together and shaking and filling. It happens when the body of believers are together. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Wow. That was outside. The the apostles were teaching. When they gathered, the apostles were, were, were equipping and teaching. It was the whole body that was on fire with the good news of Jesus. And they were out. They were proclaiming boldly this glorious message of the grace of God. The free gift. You just have to receive it by faith. Wow. Amen. And as we see that the numbers, people were just coming in the thousands. And we'll look at that here in, in just a second. Four. Um, so spirit-filled boldness. So I want to um, need to do a little background before I get into this one. But it brings clarity between the gathered church and the culture. Now, this is something I believe, folks, God, another thing that God is doing right now in America for the American church. He's waking us up to understand what is church? What is a believer? These are fundamental things that we have gotten confused and watered way down. The church is the gathered body of believers. When the church, the ecclesia gathers together, its focus primarily is upon God's presence, worshiping him and encouraging each other and expecting the spirit of God to move and do amazing things so that we would be equipped and encouraged to go out and be the witnesses in a dark place. Unfortunately, over multiple years of seeker-driven things and doing church for the unchurched type of philosophy, what we've done is we've blended the church and the world and we have a watered-down church that doesn't know, that's full of people who don't understand what church is, right? Um, you will not find that here. So here, let me just give you a little background because I don't have time to read all the passages. So, they, they, you know, they, again, the ministry started expanding. And um, 
we have this, this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, and people were selling property, bringing it so that others could have. They were sharing. It wasn't communal living. It was when there was a need. You're my brother or sister. I've got something here. Let me give it to you. Let me help you out with that, right? And uh, that's how the church should, should be. It's a family, right? It's a family. And uh, they were modeling this. It was taking off. Again, this rhythm of all in the psalmist portico, back to homes, breaking bread, Jesus at the middle of this thing, right? Exalting him. And um, this couple comes along, and, and here's the message. Here's they, they wanted community. They wanted covenant. They wanted all of that, but they weren't willing to pay the cost. And they lied to the Holy Spirit to get it. And the cost was grave, and it brought over and there was God's hand upon this purifying the church, bringing his holiness into the church, right, um, was, was a big deal. And it brought fear among the city. But listen to this. Let me read this for us. This is starting in verse 12 of chapter 5. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. Okay, that's the large gathering. None, now listen to this, none of the rest, the community, dared join them. But the people held them in high esteem. In other words, there's this reverence for what is going on over there. It's different than the world. Let me say it again. The church should be radically different than what's out there. How we love, how we serve, how we sing, how we treat one another, it should be radically different here than out there. And what we've done in America is we have just tried to make people out there feel comfortable in here. You will never find support in the scripture for that. You will just water down the sense of boldness and make the whole thing lukewarm. Right? And this is exactly what this is saying. It says that they were not, they didn't, they weren't joining. They were like, whoa, that's different there. But look at this. Verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. So there was a clarity on what a believer was. And the body was out there ministering Jesus and people would come to Jesus and they would have the fullness of the Holy Spirit and they weren't fearful of the church anymore. They realized, that's my new family. And that there was a sense, a clarity of the church was made up of believers. Now, this doesn't mean there weren't other people visiting and people aren't always welcome, as we see in the ver- book of 1 Corinthians. But what we know, when the bold, clear message is spoken, there is a clarity about who is a follower of Jesus and who isn't. There's clarity on what the church is and what the world is. Does that make sense, gang? And we are in big-time trouble in America on this issue, right? Theologically, practically, and even ministry philosophy-wise, in having clarity of our purpose here is to be the church, right? It's, it's not to be relevant in the sense of bridging out there to make that world feel comfortable. The world can never be comfortable in the holiness of God. Does that make sense? The world and its philosophy can never, nor should it ever be comfortable. And 1 Corinthians says this. It says when you gather and you're worshiping God and and, and things are happening, you're ministering to each other. When someone who doesn't know the Lord comes in, it says that because of the word of God being spoken, that their heart is convicted. They fall on the ground and they're convicted and they give their heart to Jesus. That should be the expectation. But our expectation in America is just the opposite. We do everything to to coddle people, make them feel comfortable. Because why? We are worried ultimately that we will be rejected. Ultimately, we're more worried about what they might think if they reject this message. Then we are obeying God in the truth of his word, being honest with who the church is and what the gospel is. And we see this, right? We see this modeled, right, in the, in the scriptures here. Five, boldness is a line, reveals and models a whole new way of life. Okay, look at verse uh, 20 of chapter five. <clears throat> is that they're rested again. And, um, and we see that in this time that the angel comes, the Lord comes and he opens, flings open the gates and he says, go back right out there into the temple and keep preaching the word of God. Um, it's, it's comical, actually. And uh, and listen what he says to them in verse 20. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Underline this. 
speak all the words of this life. Folks, what's happened in the church today is we we have we because we're Westerns, we have a compartmentalized view of of life. We have here's my you know this is this area of family, this is my hobbies, this is my you know this kind of thing, and and what we do the same. We put our religion, we put our faith, we put our Christianity in one of these plates over here, and and that's that is not Christianity. That's not salvation. Is when the Spirit of God comes and we're overwhelmed by the grace of God. Guess what? Is that it's a whole new way of life. It's a new way of life and living. In my experience, it should permeate every bit of my life and thought and everything I do. No longer is it compartmentalized. It should be holistic in the sense that we see this modeled by the church, right? Their life is Jesus. You've been redeemed. What does it say? Your body's no longer yours. You've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Honor God with your body. Honor God with your life. Honor God with your wealth over and over again. It's a whole new way of life. And how did Jesus define that life? I've come to give you abundant life. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come to bring life. And salvation is not just one little religious experience. It's not just for Sunday morning. It's not just for, you know, uh, uh, my quiet time. It's my entire life, right? And so boldness, uh, this sense of boldness comes when I start to see, wow, God, is that my perspective is no longer just in this plane, but as we talked about a few weeks ago, it's, it's that eternity that I own. I, I, I have a viewpoint of eternal life, right? And therefore, I don't fear what might happen in this, in this life alone. And so, um, we're to model this, right, this new life, boldness. Six, spiritual boldness, it rejoices in being counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Okay? So, um, they were taken out when they, when, when they got found out. They're out there preaching. They got, they got uh, brought in again, obviously, and like, what are you guys doing? And uh, this time, though, they were flogged. This time, and, and uh, they wanted to kill him. They were enraged. And uh, Gamaliel stands up, and he, he gave a prophecy that he didn't even know what he was saying, right? That, that kind of calmed them down, and they ended up just flogging them before they let them go. And just a little historical fact, because I think it's going to make this point ring true, but the whole point of flogging was to publicly shame and humiliate people. And technically what happened is that you were stripped down, and publicly you were given 39 lashes, 26 lashes with cords of leather, 26 times across your back. Whew. 26 times. And then they went around to the front. And you were lashed across the front of your bare body 13 times. Now that is pretty tough. And it was done publicly to shame people, right? But now look how they responded, right? Verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the honor of the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple, they begin, right, we'll come to that, and they gather. They were rejoicing. And folks, I, I just throw this out. We think about boldness today, and, and um, whew, it's tough, isn't it? Because they knew who Jesus was. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Count, you are blessed if you are reviled or persecuted for my name. You're blessed. But is that how the American church, is that how we, and, and I'm speaking for myself here, is uh, we're, we, we struggle sharing Jesus, mentioning his name on the plane. That, oh, somebody think I'm weird. We, we struggle talking, even bringing the name Jesus up in, a, in an environment in our city. Why? Because people think, oh, man, you're, you're one of those. Let alone to make a public stand for his cause, right? Folks, without boldness, without spirit filling, without the fullness of the gospel, the love of God, right, just, just having a whole, captivating us, right, we will fall. We will fall. So that's boldness. That's spirit-filled boldness, making a stand. All these things work together, as you can see. This is what characterized the early church. This is what is to characterize our church. Boldness, loving, joyful boldness because of our Lord, what he's done. And there is no, there is no shame that, that we shouldn't be able to take, no dishonor that we shouldn't uh, take because of his glory, right? Last one this is the very next verse. Spiritual boldness, it is fueled by the regular gathering of the church family. And what does it say? I just want this to ring. I want you to get the context here, okay? They've just been lashed all up. They were threatened with their lives. They wanted to kill them. 
They were lashed up and they were sent out with a command, do not speak of this name any longer, right? What do they do? I love this. Very next verse. And every day in the temple, that's in public, and house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is, the Je- is Jesus, is the Lord. They didn't even think about it. They just went right back to it. This is what you've, we're witnesses. We're going right, we're right back to it. And if we continue on the book of Acts, we'll see, guess what? The heat got turned up even more, right? To the point where they were scattered. They couldn't meet any longer. They were persecuted, drug out from their houses. And it wasn't just the apostles who were, who were drug and flogged. It was, guess what? The whole church. The whole church. But that was part of God's plan because that spread them out to carry out his command, which is to take the good news to what every tongue, tribe, and nation from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Take this. Be my witnesses. Be my witnesses, right? So I want to leave you with a challenging question. And I've kind of posed this before, but I I think it's critical for the church today. And and I think you know where I stand on this issue, but I, I, I think we all, myself included, we need to go before the Lord and, I, I, and just answer this question. Lord, is there ever a reason why I would not gather with your church? Is there ever a reason why I could justify scripturally that I shouldn't gather with the church? Whether it's in a home, whether it's in Solomon's Portico. Is there ever a reason why I shouldn't? And I'm here to tell you that the church in America today we have waffled and waffled and waffled on this issue. And until the church gets this right, who are we going to obey? Whether it's a pandemic, whether it's persecution, you just watch this. I could, again, I've said it before. You can go to Iran right now, the underground church in China, whatever it is. is I'm here to tell you, if, if I'm struggling with gathering now out of fear, what's going to happen if something a little tougher happens? Right? What's going to happen? Now, I say that in the sense that we have to wrestle with that. That's not a condemnation thing. That's something each of us have to really, this is where the rubber meets the road on, Lord, am I going to obey? Who do I obey here? What voice am I listening to? Am I listening to the medical community? Well, sure we need to. Obviously we need to. But ultimately, who do I follow? As you go down the list of things, who do I follow? Who's my Lord? And what has he commanded me to do and his church to do? In the midst of tough times, whether it's a pandemic or whether it's war or whether it's going down the list of things, or flat-out persecution, right? This is where the rubber meets the road on who's my Lord? Who am I listening to? Who am I obeying? Now, Now, the church of God is a place of grace. And that means that we have love for each other and to realize that, you know what? Each of us are on a different path of moving towards lordship, moving towards maturity, moving towards wrestling with these questions, right? And that these things aren't to beat each other up with or condemn each other. These are the things that we're to encourage each other and and challenge each other on and have a place of grace so that the body can gather together in healthy, grace-filled engagement with each other. Does that make sense? Right? And the body is very clear, the scripture is clear that we're to care for one another and, and, and to honor each other's different perspectives on these things and, and to journey with each other on these things. But ultimately, we have to all come back to, the, in, the, in, in the encouragement is, am I convicted? Is my ultimate decision, is it fear? Is it, is it public opinion? Is it, or is it truly God? Is it truly God? And we all have to make that stand. Remember, it says, if I make a decision that's not based by faith, that's sin. And so if somebody pressures me into something, that's if I, I need to be convicted of my decisions on those things. Each of us do. But that's how we're to fire each other up in exchange on this. Man, what do you think? Have you gone before the Lord on this thing? Right? This is not, again, listening to anyone else except the Lord. Who do we obey? Who's our king? And so when it comes to spirit-filled boldness is, folks, unless we are sure and confident of who God is in our life, unless we're sure and confident of what the Word of God says and our conviction of it in our life, you know, we can't make a stand. We're going to waffle. We're going to backtrack. We're going to... And you know what? None of us can make a stand alone. We need each other. The church is powerful when it's together. That's why the command is, do not forsake gathering together. 
especially as you see the end approaching, right? Hebrews 10, right? And so spirit-filled boldness, Billy, y'all come on up. Um, is, Lord, I, I, or folks, I, 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 I just confess, I, this is something I'm like, Lord, I, I, please just light a fire. I, I, I want boldness. I want that gospel, that good news to be so burning as the Luke 24 says, right? Just that where our heart's not on fire, where you just can't keep it in. You know, um, the, the truth of the matter is, if we look at stats, the majority of Americans in, in church today have never led someone to Jesus. Now let me go a step further. The majority of people, Christians in America today, rarely have ever shared their testimony with somebody else of what God has done in their life. We have a boldness problem. But below that boldness problem, right, is a faith problem of, wow, do we know him as the king of the world and universe who saved this world and whose grace and love abounds, right, that we should be, what, projecting, right, to a watching world. And so I, for one, am asking the Lord to, to awaken me, awaken my heart, awaken your church, Lord. Father, thank you for this morning, and um, Lord, forgive me, Father, for so many times, Lord, being worried about what people might think, or rather than out of a love for you, God, to be a voice of your grace and your mercy, Lord. Holy Spirit, I just pray you'd come into this time and we'd all rest, tune our ears into what you have to say to each of us. Lord, I pray. God, if there's anybody here who doesn't, who doesn't have the assurance that they know you as King, Lord of the universe, the one and only, Lord, I pray they wouldn't leave here without talking to us without allowing others to encourage them and, and lead them to you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and bolster us. Our confidence in who we are in you, God, your children. Lord, you have good things for us and eternity for us, God. Come speak to us, God. Jesus' name. Just take some time in His presence. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.